0: FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 449 of the podcast that goes snicked. Snicked, I'm your host, Jason Venable, and this is our Hellfire Gala Hangover. That's right, and there's a couple of new issues we're going to talk about. Um, The main one that you will probably be aware of is out at the time of this recording. We will save, of course, for the Excalibur's x number one. We will save that for the next time we record with the Excalibur's because, well, why would I talk about that without them? I do have a couple of books uh, that we will cover as part of our Hangover episode. Uh, There's going to be *Children of the Atom* number five and *X-Force* number uh, is it twenty-one or twenty-two. I can't remember now. I guess we'll we'll find out when we get there. But um, yeah, it's going to talk about a couple of brief Wolverine appearances. We're well, not not that brief. The coverage will probably. be fairly brief Um, but yeah just a little bit of coming out of the gala before we get into the next kind of round of stories uh, with our favorite knucklehead and um, yeah so Children of the Atom number five which is Secrets Revealed or Reinforcements uh, written by Vida Ayala, artist by Paco Medina colors by David Curiel uh, letters by VCs Travis Landon designed by Tom Mueller and the cover is by RV Silva and Eric Arsendiega and on the cover we have our children of the atom fighting the bad guys in the foreground and behind them giant size in the background are some of the X-Men we have Jean Grey uh, Cyclops both of whom are doing their typical fingers to the temple power. So Jean Grey is has her hand to her temple with some telekinesis, and then Scott Cyclops has his hand fingers to his visor, and his visor starting to light up. And then in front of them we have Wolverine with his claws out, arms crossed in an X. So pretty husky Wolverine by Arby Silva, and then flanking them is Storm kind of in a crucifix pose in the air with lightning around her she's kind of looking up at the sky arms outstretched it's a pretty classic great storm pose and then uh also standing in front of wolverine is nightcrawler and maggot and pixie are even further in the foreground and then like i said the most foreground is the um the children of the adam themselves uh, finding the bad guys. so it's, it's a pretty good cover. Uh, of course, I like Rv Silva a lot, and this is no exception. Um, I would say it's probably one of the more, like, composition-wise, the Children of the Atom covers, while they've been rendered very well, have been kind of pretty standard fare for the covers, but this one is a little more uh, interesting and dynamic um, with some of the characters and stuff. But, uh, yeah. So we'll get inside. So... All the Children of the Adam books have been told from a different character's perspective. We've made our way through the kids. Um, Actually, this will be number five. So, um, the fifth kid will be JJ, um, Jason Thomas, and we had uh, Issue 4, which is really good. Maybe one the best Issue so far. It um, was from his brother Benny's perspective. This one is really fun. So there's a couple of things that, will, that jump out in the first couple of pages. And that is, of course, JJ, his power is based on Nightcrawler. And he was Daycrawler, then he switched to 90 Nightcrawler. And um, they do something really cool in this that... Uh, um, Medina does, that Chang did not do as much of. Chang really focused on on having the characters kind of mimic body language and style of, of the characters they're imaging. Um, Medina does something really cool where JJ, while he has similar powers and even some similar actions like as far as poses and the way he uses the powers to Nightcrawler, um, he actually, he looks, he reminds you of uh, the, little, the little one from Voltron, I think is, their name is Pip. And then, but also, almost like a cartoon monkey in his mannerisms and his body. little monkey, like uh, the monkey Abu from uh, uh, Aladdin, right? Just kind of that, that body language. And it's really endearing and it works really well, I feel like. So remember last time um, there was an anti-mutant hate group uh, that had captured the Children of the Atom and J.J. escaped and he went to get the X-Men and we kind of catch that back up. But there's some really good writing here that Vita does. Um, their writing just continues to get stronger and stronger as this book unfortunately draws towards this conclusion. Um, but it just really just continues to pick up. And so J.J., his perspective on ...of um, being a child of the Atom... ...of being part of the superhero group... ...is that you no? Know, it allows him to escape real life. And, and not only that... ...but there's a nostalgia effect, right? And I know he's only 13, 14 in this book... ...but they still... ...there's still that nostalgia. He talks about how... ...when Vinny's dad married his mom... ...um... You know, he, he inherited two older brothers. I don't remember... Vin, you know, Benny talked about that that relationship from his perspective. I guess I missed the third brother. But J.J. definitely mentions him. Um, I remember I just forgot. Because um, now I, I do remember there being another kid maybe in the living room. I thought from Benny's story that he felt like he was left out. But J.J. also feels like he's the one that's left out. Um, Since he's the only kid his dad had to adopt, it, which is cool, and then his stepdad did adopt him, that's pretty, pretty rad, um, you know, being an adoptive father myself, um, uh, that definitely, you know, speaks to me, um, but anyway, um, JJ really, he talks about how, you know, when, when that family first formed and came together, that he and Benny were thick as thieves, Benny was like this awesome older brother, treated him you know, made him feel really special. They had stuff they did together. Um, but for whatever reason, the last couple of years, he feels like Benny has grown to resent him or or maybe as Benny has gained new perspective on how he feels about the family dynamic that maybe he just doesn't look at J.J. the same way. And that's really bothered J.J. And so not only does the heroing fun... And, like, he loves a sense of adventure. But he, he talks about a couple of different times in the story that when they put on the costumes, that all the friction between him and his brother, uh, you know, real or imagined on his part, and he, you know, kind of admits that it could, there could be some of both, right? But that all disappears, that they're just heroes together. And, and it's an activity for them to do together, where they're kind of, like, equals and... and just fun brothers again and there's not that 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 stress of you know how he feels like Vinny feels about the it's just it's really complicated and complex and I'm probably not doing the best job explaining it but it's so it feels so real and so something that you know something we think about a lot so just a little peek behind the curtain right um I know Denise, my wife, used to come on here, and I'm going to try at some point to get her back on again, but, um, you know, our our family is a little bit different, right? Um, You know, her, her first husband passed away, and of course, I adopted Ethan, and Ethan is now 15, but then we have the two littles that, are, you know, Ollie and Emmett, who are currently five and almost three, and, you know, one of the things we've... Denise and I talk about a lot is you know there's we're not that long <laughs> from you know our 15 year old reaching adulthood and graduating high school and and making decisions about what he's going to do you know after that you know college whatever and where that may or may not be and just you know our family's really close and I'm super super grateful for that you know one thing we talk about though sometimes is that you know at what point whenever he then moves out of the house and goes on to do other things and things we'll be super proud of and we're we know we're doing the best we can to prepare him for all that and so i mean there's nothing but joy around what he will go on to do with his life but there's going to be a hard adjustment for his little brothers because they'll still be fairly small potentially when he first kind of goes out on his own and you know, it's going to be a pretty big adjustment and so I, I read a story like this where JJ is probably not as different because there's almost not quite 10 years between Ethan and Ollie so that means a pretty big difference but even this one with the blended family you know JJ is you know a solid 4 to 5 years apart and just feels feels like at this point in his life that gap just feels like it's ballooned out and it's gotten wider and wider and he doesn't really know how to how to bridge it back to what he remembers and what he loves about his brother and when he puts on the suit and then go out and do missions um and just it it kind of just takes all that away all that dissolves and they're just they're doing stuff to. like i said and you know, i want to repeat myself but you know and just is a nostalgia for a simpler time. And he talks about how, you know, in the heroes and, you know, in the movies, they always, you know, they learn how to master their powers and they expand on their powers. They continue to grow. Anyway, it's just, it's very compelling, very interesting. Uh, the writing is only strengthened by the art. Medina and Curiel do an, a bang-up job on this book. They have been the whole time, but this issue in particular just really sings. Um, so, I guess, you know, back to the plot. Um, J.J. goes to the Krakoan embassy. Um, we find out that the bad guys are the U-men. Uh, I believe that's the same U-men that were what, Grant Morrison's run, right? Pretty sure? Yeah. Yep, yep. From Originally from the annual that he did with uh, Leon Francis U. So, yeah. So, a return of those guys. I think they've popped up once or twice since then, not a whole lot, but um, you know, they are trying to basically what they try to do is capture genetic material and kind of blend it in and become like a, a basically a third species, right? And that's a very, very Morrison sci fi concept. Um, and interesting, you know, because we also have the children of the Adam who were trying to figure out are they mutants? So probably not. It uh, seemed to be that they got these. these weapons or, or instruments from that, that spaceship, and so they're probably just kids who are mimicking powers through technology, um, uh, but then, you know, we did have the kid from their school, I think Colton, or Cole was his name, um, who was, seemed to have been experimented on, so, excuse me, some potential mutation stuff going on there, um, Anyway, J.J. goes to the embassy, and the the X-Men had tried to reach out to the Children of the Atom. Children of the Atom kind of refused their help initially so they could figure things out. But you know, Storm particularly said, well, if you ever need us, right, you know, we'll find us. And so he does. And then we kind of catch back up to the end of the last issue. So we have uh, the same X-Men from the cover. So Cyclops, Jean Grey, Maggot, Storm, Pixie, Nightcrawler, and Wolverine. And they come to rescue the kids. And it's awesome because I know they're under the assumption that the children are mutants. So obviously trying to save their own. But there's even something more in particular where they keep referring to, you know, you better not hurt these kids. And there's just a really paternal, heroic, just classic X-Men. these we're going to stand up for those that can't stand up for themselves in this situation, and they're ready to just rain down, uh, holy hell on the U-men if they've hurt the kids. Wolverine's even growling when he first shows up, right? And, um, yeah, and it's funny because, uh, Storm talks about how there's going to be repercussions for taking these kids, and, uh, Wolverine's like, you heard of the lady, this ain't a conversation, it's an ass-whooping, which is a great line, um, then of course we get a to me my you men from the the boss and the you men come out. There's a couple of double page splashes of fantastic art and fighting um between the X-Men and the U Men and, and JJ and um it's really great. We have Cyclops Blast a Fool, um you know Wolverine, you know, cutting up guys and he keeps talking about how we gotta wrap this up because it's getting harder and harder to be non-lethal um, which is pretty awesome, um, and the art on these is just so good, it looks so great, um, as they fight through the U-Men, and try to take them out as calmly as possible, um, and the U-Men are using their powers, and then they, they have, like, these little vest that shoot out, it looks like havoc power, like concentric circles, but it's basically, like, dampening waves, and, um, they shoot that, and it kind of brings the X-Men to their knees. It almost looks like they have vertigo, but it's just them losing their powers. But J.J. is able to set his friends free. And they run out, and the human try to shoot them, and it doesn't work. And that's where they kind of realize that the X-Men are like, oh, wait, they're just humans. And Storm's like, whoa, oh, wow. And then the human are like, humans? Oh, disgusting. Um... We weren't trying to kidnap humans, so they're they're mad that they kidnap these kids, but they continue to fight through. Um, there's this nice, really cool shot of the X-Men and the children of the Atom, like doing a battle pose together. It's it's really nice. It's a great panel. Then um, we get another double-page spread of them continuing to fight through the u men all together, and in fact, teaming up with their they heroes, right? So Cyclops Last and Cyclops fight together. Um, JJ and Nightcrawler. I guess Gambit's counterpart, I'm oh, sorry, Gimmick's counterpart, Gambit, is not present, but really cool interaction with her and Storm, um, which is nice. And then um, you know, Marvel Boy, or this version, and Jean Grey. And it's just, it's really cool. I guess Wolverine doesn't have a and don't have What happened to Maggot and Pitstein? Where did they go? Uh, Anyway, were they in the big group shot? They were not. Okay, seriously, they just disappear. There's a scene of the power dampeners, and they're there. Then the kids break out, and then they're just gone. That's weird. Okay, I did not really notice that the first read through, because I don't see them anywhere in these pages after that. Like once the X Men and the Children of the Atom join together, uh, Maggot and Pixie just completely fall off until the very end when the X Men are leaving. Um, so then we get the kind of interesting turn of events, right? So they they defeat the Human, the Human get away though they of course scurry off. And Cyclops, you know, shakes hands with Cyclops. Last says he's very impressed with their children, in the Atom. But you know, there, there's no place for them in Krakoa now that they know they're humans. You know, and his his final kind of advice is, you know, we can't can't really help you. We can't really spend the resources. You know, you did great work, but don't push your luck. Basically, like we're happy to help you this time, like, as part of what we do, as part of being an X-Men, but, um, you know, you got lucky to an extent, and you probably need to hang the costumes up, and, you know, just go back to being kids, like, you're a little out of your league here, and we don't want to see you get hurt or worse, and then the X-Men leave, um, and then we have some, um, Reference in the text pieces to Cradle and Kamala's Law, and how, of course, the kids are a violation. And then we have like a, an official Krakoa post about how, and it's really cool, it, it's actually really pretty nice what they do here. So, the, the Krakoa post doesn't call them out for not being mutants, it doesn't say, doesn't confirm that they are, and just says that they were helped by allies, children of the Atom, and we're happy to kind of endorse them. And that's kind of leads to that. Then we go back to the house, and there's some kind of tension between Cyclops Lass and um, Gimmick, which is, you know, fun. And then, there's a really nice scene with Benny and JJ, where he's like, Benny kind of apologizes for being, you know, maybe rough and gruff, but he still loves his little brother, and he, he talks about how, you know, him coming back to rescue them, and trying to go get the X-Men was incredibly brave, and but incredibly stupid, but incredibly brave. And that uh, you know, he gives him a big hug, says, he, you know, love you little bro. And it's just a really nice scene of them kind of reconnecting outside of the costume and reestablishing that relationship based on the actions, you know, during the, the ordeal. So then we get a knock on the door and it's Storm. It's really a nice uh, nice job by the artist and or a letterer, uh, whoever did it, with a big gasp as uh, Cyclops' last opens the door. Um, and it's Storm and she has an invitation to the Hellfire Gala and they're like oh I thought we couldn't go like we're not mutants aren't y'all kind of upset about that and she's like well turns out you're not mutants except one of you is and Gimmick is a mutant and it's to be concluded um I I won't lie uh you know I've Was lukewarm on this book. There were things I liked, things that maybe were a little tiresome. And then, so you know, if you remember us talking about it with the Scalibros, you know, we felt fairly high on the first issue, and then kind of second and third issue not as much. Fourth issue, I came started coming back around, and I'm all the way back into this book. I'm way invested now at this point. I thought this was a fantastic issue. Um, probably the best of the series. And I hate to... I hate that that's kind of how it turned out. I think it's more just kind of how the story arc vent. Because I don't want to be like, oh, well, the X-Men came in to save this book. Because I don't think that's really what happened. I think it just... It reached an apex of characterization. Now, the X-Men are awesome in this book. Like, they're just being flat out like heroes. And that's great. <laughs> we don't seen that all the time i'm hoping that's what we see in the new x-men book um i haven't read it yet as of this recording um i'm going to save it a little bit closer uh until we record on it but um yeah they're just they're they're fun and there's just a sense of fun and the sense of the right you know i mentioned that jj reaching for that nostalgia but this is nostalgia in the right kind of way Right in the right sense of a a sense that feels natural and the characters revolving around that nostalgia versus a gimmicky nostalgia on the readership, right? And so, it's using nostalgia as a story element. So, anyway, I just want to credit that up because I know sometimes we complain when stories trade in nostalgia. I don't think that's what's going on here. I think it's actually a really solid use of it by Vita. Um, They just really... And turn it around into the story element that just really warms your heart and it, it like it breaks your heart and warms your heart at the same time because you really you want jj to get what he's missing right like and then he does at the end and it's just it's very rewarding and satisfying the art is awesome wolverine's nice and the right kind of kind of funny and gruff Um, you know it's not a conversation it's an ass whooping he's got his claws out he's like I don't want to kill these guys they're making it really hard Um, so you know from a a podcasting perspective like Wolverine is pretty great Um, the art and colors like I said are amazing The, the dialogue the storytelling everything just kind of reaches its zenith for this book and you know I don't know like as far as being sad whether it Know, about it being, you know, canceled or concluded, depending on how you kind of look at it, or, you know, whatever, but, um, maybe it'll be okay, I mean, maybe this is better as a short-run story, I hope the characters do get to come back in some form, um, and I hope Vita, I mean, I've been really enjoying their new mutants, and it keeps getting better and better, this book got better and better, um, and so hopefully they... They have some more stuff to write um, in addition to, to New Mutants. Um, but I'm going to give, and I'm really looking forward to the conclusion, I'm going to give issue number five uh, six out of six clause. I I really like this issue a lot. Um, so definitely interesting to hear anyone else's thoughts if you want to share them uh, with the show. Let me know. But um, yeah, we are next going to go to X-Force. And that's going to be number 21 i was right the first time so this one we can get to the title page here in a minute is coup de gras or fear of a green planet written by benjamin percy art by joshua cassara and robert gill colors by guru effects letters by vcs joe caramania designed by tom Mueller. Covered by Kasara and Dean White. And it's a pretty cool cover. Let me get back. We have what looks like a version of the man thing. But just kind of really monstrous. Like with mushrooms and seaweed and seashells and stuff. Um, and he has Quentin Quire by the neck. And then he's also pushing Wolverine into the water with his other hand. And he's screaming at the reader. Then in the background, trapped in a tree, is four. Just a pretty good cover. I've been, yeah, you know, I, I like Dustin Weaver, or at least have. But his X Force covers are not always doing it for me. I've been really happy to see Kesara pulling cover duty on this book, as well as the interiors. It's a, it's a pretty good cover, I think. So we find out that there is this uh, Northwest plant. Up in Washington, this has been kind of like a chemical dumping ground, and Sage is worried because it it's continuing to spread and mutate sea life. So it's it's more of a Ninja Turtle type mutation, right? This waste is not just kind of polluting; it's actually um, you know turning creatures into other things, and and Sage is worried that it will encroach upon Cretan waters eventually. So they send X-Force not as a counter-terrorist team, but as an environmental tax force to clean up this sludge. Forge as a invented or used Krokoan like spores that will destroy the radiation and the pollutants and the chemicals. And so their, their mission is going to go to basically just clean this mess up. Uh, and then we get a scene on the beach where uh, a daughter and mother are looking for sand dollars and we see a killer whale jump out of the waves and then we see a panel of a sand dollar flying through the air and the mom's hat and glasses and so we assume the killer whale got her and then we get a full page splash of a man-thing like creature uh, having rescued the mom and daughter at the last minute it's a pretty nice page then we see our X-Force team and... And we see a boat and a giant radiated seal jumps on. And a giant lobster. And the man-thing creature snags the sailor and the fisherman with his tentacles. The X-Men see it. We get a cool fastball special. quite um, Quentin Quire veils a telekinetic catapult. And shoots Wolverine into the air with a big whoosh. And we get a really nice double snicked. Um, it's, it's pretty nice. As he flies in the air and launches himself into the chest of the creature with a big skelch, as he buries both sets of claws into the creature's chest, but the creature pukes on his face, and it congeals on his face, and um, Forge is like, I need that for a sample. And then the creature runs off, and the domino pulls a fisherman out of the water, and he's like, well, thanks, but I don't think that was trying to hurt me, I think he's trying to save me. And when they look back and the ship is being destroyed by the other creatures. Then we get a really nice like, pull-away shot of X-Force and the fishermen on a cliff as the boat goes underwater. And you almost see it from the perspective of the creature hiding in the forest. Because right in front of the, the viewer's eye is the outline of the trees. And you almost see like, like you're peering out of the trees at X-Force over the cliff into the ocean. It's a, it's a really nice shot. Um, I really like it quite a bit. So then, uh, Beast and Sage are talking about what's going on. Of course, Beast is like, ooh, man-thing stuff. So, it looks like there's some man-thing mutations and variants. And, and then talking about a bunch of examples where it has taken over other people. Uh, there's, there's, like, a politician who wakes up with a dead, um, uh, I guess the, the controversy is that it's a dead gay lover in bed and has been recorded, but he throws up the the seaweed, moss, whatever, and there's a lady uh, who shoots a police officer or a detective who shoots her partner, and then she throws up the stuff and she's arrested. There's a uh, policeman who's monitoring the gate in Central Park, and she tries to kill and, and when he's coming back from a shopping trip and she throws up, and Quentin's like, oh, that looks the same as the Man-Thing stuff, and that's how they kind of started connecting all the dots, and Reese is, like, super interested, and we find out um, that there's these other instances of this stuff going on, and so Sage starts searching for the different phenomenon, and then they decide to lay a trap. So Quentin is literally the boy who cries wolf, he sets up a psychic Scenario of Cuties being attacked by wolves in the forest, and the creature comes to save him. But of course, he turns into Quentin, and then X-Force jumps out, and with a snicked, and Wolverine starts fighting the creature, and Domino throws a bomb at the creature, uh, the creature, I guess, runs away. It's really kind of a weird gap in the art, where, um, they're fighting, and the creature kind of jumps, and then he's just gone and Wolverine's like oh I guess he's hiding in the trees and they try to talk to him and he comes down they try to reason with him. we find out and then, then it's the weapon plus program and they're working for the the peacock guy and that's it so and the art was really good um, I forgot I think this um, uh, the other guy who does the art with Kasara yeah, Robert Gill, you know, I think he's the guy that did um the Weapon H stuff, if I remember right. Or no. No, he did Iceman. Or maybe both. <laughs> um anyway, you know, he's done some stuff. Uh but the art is pretty seamless. There's not a whole lot of interruption in the art. Um from from Kasara to Gill. I think it's a beautiful looking book for the most part. Um the colors work really well. There's definitely some horror elements, but they're done really fantastically. Uh, you know, I like the characters in the book. The story's kind of, eh? <laughs> I mean, there's a there's man-thing variants, and that's kind of cool. I, they do talk about the idea of... Um, uh, let me see if I can find the page, because I don't want to... What is it called? Because Beast and Sage are talking about The concept of multiple discovery, right? And So basically, sorry for the delay there, but I wanted to say the right thing. Um, Well, basically where there's things that are are revealed or invented or come to at the same time independently, right? Uh, Beast mentions the idea of the crossbow, where several different cultures kind of invented the crossbow at the same time, and it's just kind of this weird... Coincidence, or discovery, or application of knowledge that happens in different places at the same time. So they kind of use that concept with the Krakoa stuff. So especially with like the the drugs and the telephonic control or whatever, whatever that's called, Um, because they have it on Krakoa. Terra Verda, also created it around the same time, and that's why Beast, you know, kind of took over their country. Much against good judgment. Um, and then, so the idea then is that this Weapon Plus was able to turn Man Thing into kind of this plant control. And that's where we got those other little snippets from. Um, and it just kind of happened all around the same time. And they, of course, we see that it's Weapon Prime or Weapon Plus being controlled by the, the uh, uh, Zeno guys. Uh, the peacock guy, but Sage and Beast are left wondering, well, you know, we know about us, we know about Terra Verde, who is who's this other group that has these same kind of discoveries and powers and control with vegetation and manipulation and stuff. And, and that's kind of interesting. It's a cool use kind of of the concept, right? Um, yeah, I mean, the story is is... Good, but really, the art is what sells this issue. Um, and yeah, uh, I don't really know if I have a whole lot else to say. So, <laughs> but X Force 21, I would definitely get, I would probably give, you know, for the art alone, four out of six claws. Um, yeah, yeah. So, that's going to do it, guys. <laughs> I kind of ran out of steam on X-Force a little bit. I apologize. Uh, it was, I mean, it was a pretty solid book, but just not a whole lot to say about it at this point. I mean, I guess we'll see where it goes with the whole, like, man thing. You know, I know Man-Thing had already been previously tied to the Weapon Plus program, because even, like, back in the 70s, the origin was an attempt to recreate Captain America, right? The super soldier serum that went wrong when Ted Salas and that made Man-Thing. So, so it made sense when when Captain America was eventually revealed to be Weapon 1 and the whole Weapon X only means Weapon 10. Um, you know, the, the Man-Thing would be Weapon something. I don't remember what number he is, but um, he does have a designation. So, so, you know, that is still going on. Uh, the Zeno... You know, cock guys either resurrected the program or just taking control of the program, and we see you know you definitely get like a Weapon H vibe to it, and maybe that's not something I really want to remember, <laughs> but but there is that you know because I think there's test tubes we see with other man things, and even like a, a dog thing um, or a wolf thing or some some kind of canine creature with this mossing and biting. Um, but yeah, I mean, overall, it was it was not bad with great art. <laughs> so yeah, definitely four out of six claws. I think is is pretty appropriate. So that's gonna do it. This uh, turned out to be a pretty of a bonus size episode, and that's okay because next up we'll have episode four fifty, and I'm I'm kind of re- rejiggered some things. Um, I'm still moving towards doing fatal attractions for the anniversary episode originally i kind of thought it might we might not get to 450 until then but we've we've gotten there a little early so what i'm going to do is do infinity crusade for 450 which is a little bit of a cheat because it's not very wolverine centric but it's a pretty big event and so we'll cover that for 450 then we'll move along a few episodes and then get to the anniversary episode um, for fatal attractions And, of course, somewhere in the next couple episodes, we'll have the Escalleros back to talk about X-Men number one and a few other books. So, yeah, that's what's coming down the pike. I hope you're looking forward to it. Um, Hope everyone out there is staying safe and well. Uh, As always, for the podcast, the goes snick. You can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at snickcast. Show notes and stuff at snickcast.podbean.com. And until next time, hugs and snicks, everyone. Bye-bye. And snacked.